Please turn your copies of God's Word with me to Matthew chapter 26. We'll be considering verses 26 through 29, where Christ institutes the Lord's Supper. Let's turn our minds and our hearts to God's Word, that living and powerful Word. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." past week, some of us had the opportunity to uh, engage in fasting. Uh, we thought about fasting, and, and some of us had opportunity to practice fasting. We withheld food from ourselves for the purpose of, of seeking the Lord on behalf of the Midwest Presbytery. While there are times to fast in this life, there are also times to feast. And one of the times of the church feasts is when it partakes of the Lord's Supper might wonder uh, how that uh, really is feasting. A small little bit of bread and a thimble full of wine, it doesn't seem like much. But there definitely is a feast for the people of God when they partake of the Lord's Supper. And we'll see from Matthew 26 that when we partake of the Supper, we have opportunity to feast on Christ. And to bring this out, uh, we'll first consider that question, what is a sacrament? What is a sacrament? Then we'll look at eating Christ by faith. And last, we will consider drinking Christ by faith. Before we hear how we are to eat and drink Christ, we, we must understand what a sacrament is. The Westminster Shorter Catechism helpfully defines a sacrament as a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein by sensible signs Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. You see how how Christ institutes the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26. Disciples sit down together, and, and after the Passover feast... The Lord institutes a supper. He describes what it is, and he gives the disciples the elements of that supper. And in that supper, we see the mysteries of the gospel revealed by sensible signs, or, or in other words, by tangible elements, by, by visible representations. In, in the preaching, we hear the gospel uh, with our ears. In the sacraments, we're to see the gospel with our eyes. And to demonstrate this, I want us to think some about the Passover. Now, the Passover has numerous connections to the Lord's Supper. But unlike what baptism is to circumcision, circumcision, the the sacrament of the Lord's Supper does not have a one-to-one correlation with Passover. The, 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 The supper 
The Lord's Supper is, is uh, a fulfillment of, of numerous uh, Old Testament feasts and, and festivals. Uh, and and it, it's a fulfillment of those, those types and, and realities that we see in those Old Testament rites and practices. And, and I believe that if we, we understand uh, something of the Passover, we'll come to see how the gospel is presented in the Lord's Supper with sensible signs. Now, we read about the Passover earlier in Exodus 12. Now, the context to Exodus 12 is that Israel is in bondage in Egypt. Israel is uh, working as slaves for the Egyptians, and they're being severely persecuted by the Egyptians. Their male children are being thrown into the Nile River, and the Egyptians are whipped and scourged as they make bricks for the building projects of the pharaohs. The people of Israel are, are heavily oppressed by the Egyptians. But the Lord's response to that oppression is to send Moses as a prophet and a leader, telling Pharaoh that he is to let the people of Israel go and worship God. But Pharaoh doesn't heed the word of the Lord. Pharaoh turns away from the Lord and, and says, I will not let Israel go and worship the Lord. They're, they're being lazy. They're, they're not submitting to their burdens, and so I'll make their burdens all the more harder. And the Lord's response to Pharaoh's disobedience is to then go and send plagues upon Egypt. Now, pestilences, famines, sicknesses, they all have the, the designed purpose of the Lord to turn our hearts back to God. It's one reason God has sent COVID upon this land. It's, it's to cause us to remember that God reigns on high and that we must turn to him. And so God sent these plagues upon Egypt. But Pharaoh's heart grew harder and harder in response to those plagues. God caused the water of the river to turn to blood. Then caused frogs to come out of the river and fill the land. Then lice feasted on the blood of men. Then swarms of flies came. Then livestock died. Then boils broke out on every living thing in Egypt. Then hail rained down on all the crops. And what the hail hadn't killed, then locusts came and ate. And then there was thick darkness over the entire land of Egypt for a period of three days. And after all those plagues, you think Pharaoh would respond in repentance and humility to God, saying, no, Lord, you reign on high. I am but an underservant of you. But Pharaoh doesn't. His heart just simply grew harder and harder. And so God said, to, said he would send one more plague upon the land of Egypt. God said that he would kill all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. The, the angel of the Lord would fly over Egypt at night. 
and every firstborn child would die. And yet not every firstborn child would die. The people of Israel were commanded to to take an unblemished male lamb that was a year old. They were to kill that lamb and put its blood on the doorframe of their houses. They were then to eat the lamb after it had been roasted on the fire. And the Lord promised Israel that if he saw the blood on their doorposts, that he would not kill the firstborn in their houses. Promise that as he passed over the land of Egypt, killing all the firstborn of the Egyptians, that if the Israelites had blood on their houses, he would pass over their houses and save them from that plague. The Lord says in Exodus twelve thirteen, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And so the Passover would be a feast. It would be a memorial that Israel had to observe every single year in remembrance of the day that the Lord delivered Israel from the hand of the Egyptians. The Passover would be a day that Israel would look back and and remember the the goodness and the mercy of God in in freeing them from, from the cruel oppression and persecution of the people of Egypt. But there would also be be an aspect of of that Passover that would be looking forward. Every year, a new lamb had to be offered. Every year, new blood needed to be shed and spread on those doorposts. Each year, the people of Israel would be reminded that yes, the Lord has had physically delivered us from the land of Egypt, but we still need that spiritual deliverance. We still need our, our sins and our iniquities purged away by something other than a lamb. This lamb is but a picture, it's, it's but a sensible sign of the redemption that Christ would eventually bring for the people of Israel. So hopefully it's not hard to to see the the Christ-centered symbology of the Passover, a perfect spotless lamb being killed to deliver from the wrath and judgment of God, a family's firstborn son being spared by the death of an innocent lamb. These would have been very sensible and, and very graphic Uh, uh, signs of redemption of the way that atonement would be made it was it was the gospel seen with the eyes and thus the 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 passover was a beautiful picture of what christ would accomplish for us when god the father sent his only begotten son to be crucified for our sins god passed over us but he did not pass over his own son God visited the judgment we deserved upon his own son. When we partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we are remembering that sacrifice of Christ with sensible signs. When we eat the bread 
and drink from the cup, we are remembering that Christ willingly gave himself up as our Passover lamb. As John said, as John the Baptist said, when he saw Christ approaching the Jordan River, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. We don't need to celebrate the Passover anymore because Christ paid that ultimate sacrifice. Christ's blood was shed once for all. Christ fulfilled what the Passover was a type of. And so the bloody bloody, uh, uh, festival of Passover is replaced with the bloodless sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And so what is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper? The sacrament of the Lord's Supper is an ordinance instituted by Christ in fulfillment of various Old Testament rites and rituals, including the Passover. In the, in the Lord's Supper, the death of Christ is remembered by sensible signs. But it's not simply a remembrance. The Supper is also a means of grace whereby we are encouraged and strengthened in our faith by the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. However, for us to be encouraged and strengthened in our faith, we must eat Christ by faith brings us to the second thing I want to consider, eating Christ by faith. In Matthew 26, verse 26, we read that Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, we similarly take bread, common, ordinary bread, and we pray that God would bless it. That God would set apart this this common bread from from an ordinary use to a sacramental use. That God would bless that bread for the nourishment of our souls. Now, it it does not uh, matter whether this bread is leavened or unleavened. When Christ first instituted the sacrament, he likely used unleavened bread as he had just celebrated the the Passover. Remember that the Jews weren't allowed any leaven uh, in their houses when they uh, observed the Passover. But Christ does not stipulate for us whether this bread has to be leavened or unleavened. So we are at freedom to use either in our observation of the sacraments. And while the type of bread that does while the type of bread does not matter for us, what does matter is that the bread be broken. Our text says that Jesus took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it. When we partake of of the sacrament, you'll see me me take a piece of bread, I'll, I'll lift it up before your eyes, and I'll break it. Similarly, when Christ broke the bread... He symbolized how his body would be broken on the death of the cross. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24, Paul recounts how Christ said to him uh, when, when, when Christ came to Paul and told Paul how to observe the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Christ said to Paul, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now when we say the word broken, 
And when we say that that, that broken bread is, is, a, is a sign, it's a seal of Christ's broken body, we might think that this means that Christ's bones were broken for us. However, this is not what we are saying. We just say him from Psalm 34, which directly states that not one of Christ's bones would be broken. And John 19 recounts how the soldiers went and broke the legs of the two robbers who were crucified with Christ. But John 19, verses 33-36 says, But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. So we are not saying that Christ's bones are broken, but what we are saying is that the broken bread symbolizes the broken body of the Lord. The broken bread illustrates what Isaiah 53 verses 4 through 5 describes. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. As you eat the bread, the bread is crushed and ground by your teeth. If you put it in the words of Isaiah 53, the bread is being bruised. And just as the bread is bruised by your teeth, so Christ was bruised for your iniquities. But I also want to be abundantly clear here. When we break this bread, we are not saying that the actual body of Christ is being torn when we break that bread. It would be highly improper to say that as the bread is torn, so Christ is being torn. When Christ says, this is my body, Christ is using figurative language. Christ frequently used such figurative language throughout his ministry. We saw it in our call to worship this morning when Christ said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. And Christ said, you have to eat my flesh. Christ was using figurative language there. The bread is but a sign and a seal of the body of Christ. The bread is not the actual body of Christ. The physical body of Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And this is where the Roman Catholic Mass is an abomination to God. Roman Catholics believe that when the words, this is my body, are said, that then the bread turns into the actual body of Christ. Yes, it looks like bread, it tastes like bread, it feels like bread, but they argue it's, it's actually the body of Christ. The accidents remain the same, but the substance has, has substantially changed. This is an accursed idolatry. It is a profaning of the sacrament. Before Christ died, he told the disciples in John 14, verse 28, I am going to my Father. 
Christ told the disciples, I am no longer going to be with you. And that's why God sent the Holy Spirit in Acts 2 to be that comforter, to be that paraclete with the people of God. Christ has ascended into heaven. Saying the words, this is my body, doesn't change that. But also when the Roman Catholics observe the Mass, they say they're crucifying Christ again. When they take that bread and break it, they say that they are breaking Christ's body as it was broken some 2,000 years ago. But there's no need for us to crucify Christ again. Christ died once for all of our sins. We are to observe the sacrament of Lord's Supper in remembrance of what Christ did, not as a repeat of what Christ did. The one death of Christ satisfied the justice of God and purchased redemption. That redemption is full and complete. And this should be a comfort for you as a people of God. Your redemption is full and complete. It is lacking in no way. Hebrews 9 verse 11 says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Christ does not need to be sacrificed again and again to purchase redemption for us. Christ died once for all. His redemption is full and complete. And that is a glorious hope that we have as a people of God. And so the bread which we eat is but a sign and a seal of the body of Christ broken for us. We must partake of that body by faith. When we take that bread and remember and believe that Christ's body was broken for our sins, we're not simply eating bread. We're not simply nourishing our bodies. When we behold Christ by faith in a sacrament, that physical food which nourishes our body becomes spiritual food whereby our souls are nourished. And that's when we feast on Christ. When we see the, the glorious and beautiful truth that Christ's body has been broken for me, that I have full and complete redemption in Christ. That's, that's our opportunity for feasting. That's when we are partaking of that living bread just come down from heaven. And just as we must eat Christ by faith, so we must also drink Christ by faith. Jesus says in Matthew 26, verse 27, And he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Christ has given us the cup as a sign and seal of the blood of the new covenant. Just as the bread is not the actual physical body of Christ, so the cup 
is not the actual physical blood of Christ. It is a sign and a seal of that blood. And no matter where, whether, where you fall in the debate regarding whether we should drink wine at communion, if grape juice is all right, or if it doesn't matter whether it's wine or grape juice, we must be sure we understand two things. The first is that this is the fruit of the vine. Fruit of the vine does not mean pumpkin juice, does not mean apple juice. Fruit of the vine means fruit from the grapevine. Having Coke or Kool-Aid is not the element spoken of here in Matthew 26. The second thing we must understand is that this fruit of the vine symbolizes Christ's blood. As Christ says, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. What is that blood of the new covenant? Well, to understand that, uh, we must first understand the blood of the old covenant. The blood of the old covenant was the blood of bulls, goats, and sheep. It was the blood of animals. Even though there were hundreds of thousands of bulls, goats, and, and, and sheep sacrificed in the Old Testament, yet not one drop of their blood could wash away the sins of the people. When we read of the dedication of Solomon's temple in, in 2 Chronicles 7, Read that Solomon offered 22,000 bulls and 120,000 sheep. That's an incredible amount of animals. Look at him, just imagine the, the temple awash with the blood of those animals. Yet not one drop of that blood washed away the sins of the people. All these animals had to be sacrificed again and again and again because there was not atonement for their sins in the blood of those animals. Those animals were but a type of Christ. They were simply pictures that pointed to the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The blood of the old covenant could not wash away sin, but the blood of the new covenant can. As we partake of the cup, at the Lord's table, this should bring us joy. Put yourself into the context of, of a first century Jew. Each year, he goes to the temple, takes an animal from his flock or, or buys it. And the, 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 the priests examine the animal, make sure it doesn't have any spots or blemishes on it, make sure it's perfect. And then they go sacrifice it. Each year he has to do that. Each year he's reminded of the fact that the Messiah hasn't come yet. I still deserve judgment for my sin. My sin hasn't been covered yet. Christ hasn't come yet. But then that first century Jew hears that Christ's blood has been shed for him. That there's now blood of this new covenant. And he gets to partake of the cup, which is a picture of the blood of the new covenant, and be reminded constantly that, no, not, not that my, my sins aren't paid for yet, but my sins have been paid for. I have redemption in Christ. 
Oh, what a joy that would be. What, a, what an opportunity for this man to feast and celebrate the redemption that he has in Christ. It has been accomplished. God has come in the flesh and made atonement for my sins. What a beautiful thing that is. And when Christ says in verse 29 of our text, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Christ is making a beautiful promise as well to his people. It's a promise we're to remember too when we partake of the supper. The fruit of the vine is something that denotes rejoicing and feasting. The fruit of the vine is a joyous beverage for the people of God. And when Christ says he will not drink, he is, in a sense, saying he will not feast. He will not stop working until he drinks the fruit of the vine with us in the new heavens and the new earth. Christ will not stop building his church. Christ will not rest for one moment until he is reunited with his people. As you partake of the cup by faith, know that Christ is laboring to build his church and look forward to that day when you will be able to feast in the presence of Christ. And Christ says he will drink it new with us in his Father's kingdom. And this is a beautiful picture for us to consider as well. The grape harvest in Israel occurs in the fall. This is the the time of new wine, when the grapes would be freshly pressed. When the wine would would not be bitter or vinegary, but, but sweet and delicious. The wine that Christ was drinking here in Matthew 26 would likely have been old wine. Because this is the time of Passover, it's the spring. So all that new wine made in the fall would now be be the old wine. In other words, what Christ is saying here is that he will drink the new wine with us. means that, that when we feast with Christ, it will be perfect, a joyous feasting with Christ. There will be no tears There will be no sadness. There will not even be a hint of bitterness. This will be perfect, joyous celebration with our Passover lamb. That is something that we look forward to when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We look forward to that day when we will Partake of a cup with Christ Himself. And so, to partake of the sacrament by faith means that we receive and apply unto ourselves Christ crucified and all the benefits He has bestowed upon us in His death. It means we see how the, the physical elements are signs and seals of the spiritual realities. It means that we believe as surely as we eat the bread and drink the wine that Christ has died for our sins. As surely as it takes many grains to make one loaf of bread and many grapes to make one cup, so we as a body of Christ are united with the Lord 
in his death and his resurrection. To partake of the Lord's Supper means that while Christ is not physically present with his people in the sacrament, he is certainly spiritually present in those who partake my faith. Are you weighed down by your sins this morning? Do you feel as though your sins need to be atoned for still? Do you believe that there remains a punishment for your sins? Do you wonder if I can truly be forgiven for all my sins? Look to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Or if you observe that sacrament in remembrance of Christ, in remembrance of what Christ has accomplished for us, we're not to crucify him afresh because he's already purchased redemption for us. Believe that Christ's body was broken once for all for the complete remission of all your sins. Believe that Christ's blood was shed for a complete remission of all your sins and partake and feast on Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is as sweet as honey. Lord, we thank you for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper which you have given us. How it is a beautiful means of grace whereby we are shown the gospel. Lord, we pray that as we look forward with, with eager anticipation and joy to observing that sacrament next month, that you would bless us in our time that you would bless us as we observe that sacrament, that our eyes would would not fixate on, on the external elements, but that our eyes would be lifted up to consider our perfect and complete salvation in Christ. Lord, we pray that you would ever hasten the day of your coming, that we might be able to drink of the fruit of the vine anew with you in your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name, amen.